Welcome to the X Factor Roping Podcast. Our goal is to give you the knowledge and tools to get the most out of what you love to do. I'm Pace Freed, the CEO of XFactorRoping.com and the host. We want to bring you the best content possible and it would mean so much to us if you'd continue to sign up and show your support to XFactorRoping.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, well, we're filming today with Jake Long, seven-time NFR qualifier, George Strait champion, BFI champion, and just a really, really good guy. He's got a cool story to tell. So, uh, you know, Jake, to start everything out, I, I like to hear about growing up and kind of what what got you into roping and just, you know, what your childhood was like and when you decided to start roping. And Can you kind of tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, man. I, you know, honestly, I don't really ever know a time that I didn't rope. And uh, growing up, my mom ran burrows, my dad team roped, and, uh, you know, I guess like a bunch of us went to junior rodeos, and, and there was just never a time that, that I didn't think this is what I wanted to do. Um, grew up roping the fast lane dummy, me and Coleman, you know, forever. Uh, lived pretty close there to George Allen, and, and uh, you know, so kind of had pre-machines and everything. That was our, that was the, the fun toy, you know, and... Um, you know kind of got a little more serious about it towards high school and stuff you know like growing up we we always just played and had fun and um you know i'm old enough that we still had the ten dollar man interrupt ropings and you could just go and you know for a hundred bucks just rope as much as you wanted to so those were pretty fun and uh you didn't get rich but you know you couldn't just lose a whole lot doing it either so it, it was a lot of fun to grow up that way and um you know, yeah, it's just kind of evolved to what it is now. Yeah. So, always growing up, you just your dad and mom both professional rodeoed a little bit, right? Or trained horses? And well, actually, neither one of them, you know, professional rodeoed, but they did some amateur rodeos there around the house, and and uh, um, they we there's two or three little amateur associations around there, and they did those, and then jackpot and stuff like that, yeah, around the house. So was that kind of your main source of income when you started competing and you know i'm just trying to bridge that gap is how as a younger guy that was learning how to rope and started to be pretty competitive around his high school you know mm -hmm. jackpots about what time did you think like man this is what i want to do this is how i want to try to make a living because you might not have necessarily been around it um with a lot of professionals right no, there wasn't a bunch. Britt Buckus, you know, come from up in that my part of the world, but he was, uh, I don't know, he's probably about 10 years older than I am, so he was kind of already accomplished and gone by the time I was getting old enough to know any better, and I'd actually went to a school of his, and, um, but really, you know, growing up like any other kid, you know, my, my mom and my dad paid my fees to go to the junior rodeos and go to the jackpots and stuff, and when I was probably 16, my dad set me down and basically just said, you're either going to have to win or get a job. Uh, you know, the fees were getting expensive enough, and I was starting to go enough that it was starting to become a burden a little bit. And um, But honestly, that was probably the best thing in the world for me because it, it, it honestly taught me to really watch my money because there were several times that I couldn't go to the rope and I didn't have enough money to go, and at that time I didn't have a job yet. And so uh, I was actually a sandwich artist at Subway. So that was that was one of my first jobs, and uh, you know that was that was kind of a cool experience to, you know, to just have have the regular job. And uh, <clears throat> but through that, <clears throat> having to go clock in every day, it it made me want to work even harder to to do what I love to do. And so uh, you know, really worked hard on it. Went to a Rich Skelton school when I was in high school, and he showed me a few finer details that that really shaped my style so like between him and Britt you know Britt was somebody that I looked up to growing up a bunch and 
um, like I said, being from the area, and, and uh, just so his style, and then kind of married in with, with riches from going to his school, and then obviously everything that he's accomplished in his career, uh, you look up to that when you're young, and, and um, so that's kind of where my style came from, and then, you know, honestly, just through roping hours and hours in the practice pen, and uh, my stepdad turned me a bunch of steers when I was younger and, and my mom and my uncle out there working shoots and f videoing and um, you know it, it takes an army to to get to where we're at today so a lot of support yeah well I want to go back to the, the job at Subway so how much were you getting paid an hour at that job well I mean I don't know what minimum wage was in but I'm pretty sure it was right there <clears throat> I don't know uh, you know I don't know, probably eight dollars an hour or something. So it wasn't a lot. Well, to me, what's funny about that is a minimum wage job or a job where there's not much money involved. You might work a whole day, mm -hmm. whatever, eight hours, and then one jackpot, and you don't do well. That's maybe a week's worth of work, right? Yeah. Especially a, a U.S. rope. And so, how did you kind of balance that? You know, with especially with not having money and having a job where it doesn't pay that well. Did was there ever any, how did you keep a good mentality to kind of stay competing? Well, I, well, uh, number one, it, it taught me that, you know, you don't necessarily interrupt every time you go somewhere. Um, it made me a little more selective with, uh, I guess, how much I was willing to risk. Um, you didn't want to ever feel like it was scared money or whatever, but um, I, I never did shy off of entering as far as like kind of up to that point but I, I never tried to extend myself too much either uh, you know like I said we had a lot of interrupter opens back then that were you know might be fifty dollars a man or a hundred dollars a man and and they just let you enter until you were out of money you know one thing that I'm just gonna jump forward to this a little bit but I, I think you learned that from a, a young age you talk about managing your money and and still entering and competing but even if it was a ten dollar open you still had to win to fuel everything you're you know you basically your rope and passion mm -hmm. and today that hasn't changed you and I were just having a conversation a little bit ago about the weekly ropings and stuff that's around here in Stephenville and man I, I would just like to will you give me a perspective on your mentality about the the weekly ropings around here and, and roping for a living yeah you know I think the biggest misconception amongst like the the younger roping crowd is they don't maybe get as involved, in, as invested. I feel like maybe at the smaller opens as they do at the BFI or the, you know, used to be the George Strait or, you know, if they're lucky enough to get to the NFR. The the amount of focus that they show at those places is great. You know, everybody gets up for those opens. But when you go to a weekly rope and Austin Robertson puts one on that, you know, it pays anywhere from a thousand to two thousand dollars, and they got two of them every single week. Well, you know that's not necessarily getting you rich or nothing but if if you add that up over a year and you're winning second and third and maybe a first here and there all the time well then that money really adds up to a big win you know you might win fifteen ten thousand throughout the year doing those little small ropings like that and you kinda I don't want to say you slough them off but you kinda think well man it's not gonna cripple me to go over there and lose three hundred so you kinda just show up and you're laughing with your buddies and you're hanging out and just having a good old time but I really try to have a mentality that every single time I show up I'm there to rope for a living and, and make money and so I, I feel like if you have that mentality everywhere well then it's not just getting up for the bigger opens so like at the BFI or the wildfire as I do at Austin's roping every week and so mentally the scenarios that you get put in 
through going to those weekly ropings, whether it's needing to be 11 to win the roping or whether your third callback and you know maybe the first two are just barely ahead of you just all the little scenarios that you get put in your mentality is just as focused and just as determined to win and make the right decision so then when you get into the big spots it's not trying to create a new scenario it's stuff that you're learning from all these little things that you've been to that you know exactly how to react and how to have yourself mentally prepared builds a lot of trust with your rope and like uh, one one run that jumps out of my mind i talked to luke about this too but was a BFI. Mm-hmm. You, know, you guys got pretty far ahead of that roping, and uh, in the short round, I mean, you you heal pretty aggressive, anyways. You know, you, you're a guy that likes to throw fast in my mind, anyways. But mm-hmm. coming back to the short round, you guys had to. I mean, it was just a catch run to me, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you guys just went and executed it. Nothing looked out of whack, but it was it was almost one of those runs where you could lay off just a little bit and still take just a little less risk to to win the rope, and then. And I think that a lot of that can be learned at Austin's Ropens and by, by going to these five and six headers, you know, when you're ahead of the jackpot, like you're saying. Or well, the funny thing is um, they had, a, you know, one of the small Ropens. It was actually at Morgan Mill there at Thrill Hill um, maybe a month before the BFI. And we were second callback, and we had to be, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something to go lead. And um, we're guaranteed money at that point. And... I remember riding in the box and I was kind of conflicted on whether to be aggressive or just to catch. And I was kind of double-minded the whole time going into the box. And I'll never forget, <clears throat> I'm going down the arena and I'm thinking, just catch. But I'm riding a corner for throw fast. And so when I squared up, I had a throw, but I wasn't ready to take it. I end up throwing, I rope a leg, we don't win any money. And I'm pretty, pretty disgusted with myself. Now again, it wasn't big money. I mean, it probably paid $800 or something. So it's not... It wasn't the money, it's the wanting to execute and wanting to come through in every situation. Well then, like two weeks later, we're up at Tulsa or open and we're high callback and we had to be some kind of long eight or something when they're open. And we'd been being six and seven all day. And I remember telling myself, like, just ride a good corner, heal him when he's ready. And that way, there was no decision of to heal him fast or to heal him slow. It was just, if I put myself in a good position and I take my first throw, then, then I'm great. And... We end up executing there, we win the rope, and within two weeks later we go to BFI. And it's the same thing. Had to be nine, so it's almost the exact same situation. Like, we've been being, you know, I don't know for sure, but I think some kind of long seven was our longest run all day, so we've been kind of clicking along pretty good. Well, then all of a sudden you got to be nine. So then there's that part of you that's like, man, I can just back off, take a couple swings over him. But then there's also that part of you like, well, man, I need to rope the same way I've been roping because, you know, as a healer, or as a header, either one, you know, your your horse and your run's been programmed all day. We've we've made five runs pretty much in the same part of the arena, same rhythm, same everything. Well, then all of a sudden, do I try to change that for the short round, or do I, you know, do I keep it the same? And so all these little thoughts can can battle with you. Well, to draw back off my experience of messing up in a short round at at an eight hundred dollar open brings us forward to a roping that's paying sixty thousand, and now I get to tell myself ride a good corner, healing when he's ready. And then mentally, that puts me zoned in to, like, I'm going to do my job. I don't care if I have nine seconds or 30. Like, I'm going to ride a good corner. When I know I can heal the steer, I'm going to heal him. And if that's on the first hop, great. And if it's on the fifth hop, great. But when I know I have my throw, I'm going to heal him. So. And that was exactly what happened at the Feist. It was a shot that, it was a, an aggressive heel shot, but a real, it was just a high percentage shot. There was no hesitation. Mm-hmm. Just, but uh, it, to me, a professional roper, you know, you go to these little ropings and, to pay 800 bucks, 
and treat it just like you're saying, like it, uh, the BFI, or if you keep winning, that will be like pain like the BFI if you can do it all year long. But to learn from those experiences is really important. And I think that that's one thing to take from guys like yourself is how important it is to handle these ropings. And when you are not successful, you can add little things to your roping because you don't know when it's going to, what it's going to lead to, but mm -hmm. you can keep making the most out of it. I think that that's, that's really, really important. Uh, so I want to jump back to uh, your kind of your younger years. You grew up with Colin, right? Mm -hmm. And you guys roped a lot together. You guys headed and healed for each other a little mm -hmm. bit. And I remember the, watching some old tapes of you guys at the straight with inner both ways and yeah. stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. Was that was that kind of your first guy? Like when when you started to pro rodeo and realized that you wanted to amateur and kind of get going in the amateur rodeos and pro rodeos? Can you kind of take me through that of who you roped with and that experience of when you were first starting to learn how to to rodeo? Yeah, we uh, <clears throat> like I said, we we all amateur rodeoed around there. Um, IPRA was big up in my part of the world, and a little association called the ACRA, and. Me and Coleman would always heal for Justin Turner and Colt Braden, and um, you know we we all were real good friends and, and hauled around. And I went to my first pro rodeo with Justin Turner, and uh, it was in Iola, Kansas, and um, I'll never forget it because it I'd never been around. You know what I mean? Like like I said, we amateur rodeo and everything, and the NFR or even to circuit rodeo, pro rodeo was like this big thing in my head, and I'd never even really known anybody that had done it. And so we enter this rodeo, and it's a, it's a small circuit rodeo. I mean, I, I don't know. It added probably seven hundred dollars or a thousand or something. I mean, it wasn't nothing big in the grand scheme of things, but at the time, it was huge in my life. And so, you know, we show up, and I got this feeling like, man, I'm at a pro rodeo, and I, I don't know what to do. And and we end up winning the winning the rodeo. We're up the last night, and we get to take the victory lap. And like, I just never forget. I've thought, I've made it. You know what I mean? This is it's never going to be another poor day. And uh, matter of fact, I think I was on my permit then, so that filled my permit, and, and you know, it was just, it was a, it was a neat emotion to experience then, and then to, you know, everything that it's built to, but, um, you know, as far as, you know, me and Coleman started, well, we, we basically grew up together, I mean, we've known each other since we were two and three years old, and there was a period there where we, you know, we didn't see each other, we lived just far enough away, I mean, it was a little over an hour, so it wasn't real far, but, um, you know we just we didn't see each other there growing up as much as maybe we could have and um, I'm trying to think I think he was I'm gonna say maybe 14 years old or something and there was some um, youth finals that he was in and he called me to come over and help him team rope he was trying to win the all-around in it so I went over there and headed and healed for him in the deal and <clears throat> he ended up winning the all-around and and then just a few years later I was high school rodeoing and he was gonna be a freshman and I was a junior and so I called him and I actually headed for him in high school and we made the high school finals with me heading and then um, we tried one year with him heading in college and, and we didn't do any good and or well we just missed going to the college finals and um, which was kind of my fault I turned us a little aggressive back then <laughs> for, for the format but um, but anyway we we didn't make it there so it was kind of funny when we decided we wanted to try to pro rodeo it was uh, well, in 2006, we had talked a lot about it, and we decided that, you know, we were going to go to Amarillo, and we were going to see how our run stacked up to everybody a little bit, and kind of just go to a few of them rodeos there at the end of the year, and when we kind of felt like, you know, 
because Coleman hadn't headed enough to where, you know what I mean, his confidence is now, obviously. And so we kind of wanted to just see where we were. And once we kind of figured out that we felt like we could do it, uh, 2007 we started and it was kind of funny because his dad told him, you know, son, did you not learn anything in college? You two couldn't make the college finals <laughs> together. So, uh, you know, that was kind of comical. But, um, you know, we had a really good winner in 2007 and, and came pretty close to making the finals that year and, and didn't quite get it done. But that was our first experience of, we, we'd always kind of went to the winter rodeos. They're, they're close enough to home. and. Um, for guys in our part of the world, you know, it wasn't out of the realm to, you know, I mean, Denver's 10, 12 hours away, so it's not that bad. And, then, you know, if you can get down into the Texas winter rodeos and stuff. So we had done that, you know, several times, right. but we had never left the house with the intention of, like, we could do this all year, you know. So that was our first experience of trying to do it full time. And, and you know, we both learned a lot, and it helped us grow for success that we were going to have later. And so... That was crucial. So what was the first year you made the NFR? 2010. 2010. And uh, were you roping full-time? Was that kind of what you're doing the couple years up to that point? Yeah, um, or at least trying to. I mean, uh, never I mean, never really had the money to, to do anything. Um, was really just trying to scrape by and, and figure out a way to make it. Um, but yeah, that's what I was wanting to do. and, and would do little things here and there, maybe ride ride a couple horses for some people, or um, you know try to help some guys. Uh, keep going with the, uh, you know, you're talking about roping for a living and trying to to kind of keep it going financially while you're you know you're starting to compete and go to the rodeos and stuff like that. So let's uh, I'd like to elaborate on that a little bit more as far as what you were doing uh, to to kind of help yourself out financially at that point. Uh. Well, like I said, it it was a lot of um, just trying to win what I could, and and I, th I guess really learning to be frugal. You know what I mean? Learning that you know maybe you don't go out and eat every meal, or or you dang sure don't go eat nice places um, <laughs> at that part of my life. So uh, I was in college and and was with my now wife, and and you know we learned to to really kind of pinch our pennies and and pay attention to ourselves financially and. Uh, you know, luckily she she had a job that was kind of keeping us afloat um, throughout those years of of me kind of being a rodeo bum and and learning to uh, to win and what it took and then um, a lot of very supportive people. Um, Barry Berg at Cactus has been somebody who's treated me like family since the day I met him, and you know he stepped up in some pretty crucial spots for me and and definitely kept me afloat. Um, to help me get where I am, so that's really cool. Uh, do you? I would like to talk about that with the, that straight to kind of jump <laughs> jump around. I, to me, that is one of the, the coolest stories. Uh, man, I, I'd like to hear about that and just start from kind of where you're at financially to the take me through the rope and then what happened at that. Well, 2010 was a was a pretty cool year for me. Um, so in 2009. <clears throat> Coleman finished out the year with Cape, uh, Caleb Twilsman and I came home, didn't really have the money to, to finish out and we didn't have a chance to make the finals. And to start 10, 2010, he was going to keep her open with Caleb. So I, I was searching for a partner and I couldn't find one at all. And I um, had asked every avenue that I knew to ask and, and um, you know, ended up finding a partner to go to the winter rodeos with in 2010. and. 
Um, I actually started with Corey Kidd that year, and we'd had some a little bit of success. Um, I, I didn't rope real good for him, but um, I'll never forget. I was hanging out um, here in Texas at a friend's house, and the the George Strait roping was coming up, and uh, or actually right before that, um, me and Brady trying to talk about roping, and I had no money. I mean none, and maybe a thousand dollars to my name. And so me and my wife sat and talked about it and, you know, Brady, I'd never been to California. He's wanting to go out to California and that's where we were going to start our partnership. And to me, that might as well have been on the other side of the planet. I mean, I, I had no money, couldn't do nothing. So I just remember telling her, like, I can get a credit card and if it doesn't work out, I can come home and ride horses and, and we'll figure it out. We'll get it paid back somehow and we'll get back ahead. So the George Strait reopens coming around and... Um, I didn't have the money to rope in it at all. Couldn't enter it and obviously wanted to enter it. And so I called called Barry down there and, and um, he had had some just, I guess the goodness of his heart or faith in me or whatever, but I asked him if I could borrow the money from him to enter the roping. And he said that, yeah, I could borrow the money. And I, I told him, I'm like, man, I, if I don't do no good, like it could be a year before I can pay it back or whatever. And he was really cool about man you know I'm here to help you we're friends and so he paid my my fees that year and um, so I get to go to the roping and I rope with Coleman and Cody Graham and um, I don't fully remember who my third one was that year but I make the second day with Cody and Coleman which was actually the first time I'd ever even made the second day healing and had been there since probably 2001 or something so <clears throat> um, so the second day starts and, and get both steers down with them clean in the first round. And then the second round comes around and I rope a leg for Cody Graham to be pretty good on too. And I'm, I'm pretty upset, but um, the blessing of it for on my side of it was it, it made me angry enough that I quit worrying about, you know, the situation that we were in. And, and I just kind of roped off aggression and off, you know what I mean, trying to win something then. And so me and Coleman catch our second one, and we come back second call back. And I'll never forget, we, we kind of got made fun of a little bit because we caught the short round steer, and we're hooping, hollering, chasing each other around the arena, and everybody's like, well, you didn't even know you were going to win the rope. And I'm like, I didn't have to win the rope. That was going to be the biggest, you know, second was going to be the biggest win of my career, right. and not even close. So it wasn't the thought of, like, we might have just won the rope, and it was just the thought of, like, I didn't, I mean, I had a thousand dollars in my name maybe when I showed up at this place and I don't remember what second paid that year, maybe 40 grand or something. And, and at that time of my life, I, I never won anything remotely like that. So <clears throat> it, it had nothing to do with whether we ended up winning first or not, but um, obviously it ended up working out. We won their open and um, I'll just never forget for the first time in my life to be able to rope where you know, I didn't necessarily have to win to get to the next one or to go out and eat something that night or whatever. So <clears throat> it took the financial burden off of me for a while. And um, while well, we went to Huntsville, was the first rodeo that me and Brady entered, and we ended up winning second or third at the rodeo, and I think we won, I don't know, 2500 or 3000 or something. And for the first time in my life, it wasn't, oh my gosh, I won 2500 Like, you could take a deep breath for a week, you know what I mean? It was, oh, that was cool, you know, good job. And so then, you know, that steam rolled into to me and him having a good year and making the finals and, 
and then it's you know built to where um, yeah been got to go a few times now so that's pretty cool all right so I, I gotta go back to it because uh, you know a thousand dollars to your name if that and you're good on to second high call what is your mentality in the box or going up to it do you have any thoughts that you're thinking specifically at that point or I mean honestly the I guess just because I'd never like I said I mean I'd been broke my whole life or whatever so I mean not having money wasn't really a it didn't ever make me scared from the fact of like I mean if well I never really thought of it if we didn't win anything but you know I've never really been worried about that because that was my situation growing up I mean it, it just never was something that concerned me because that was all I knew so that that didn't really bother me it was more the I mean I was scared to death of the situation that I was in you know what I mean like I said it was the first time I'd ever been even remotely close to anything like that and I just remember thinking you know god I hope I catch this deer <laughs> like it really had nothing to do and I never thought like I said it never was a thought of like win first or second or third or anything and one of the biggest blessings for us both of us honestly because we're both wired pretty aggressive was the miners came right out in front of us and made a pretty dang good run and so you know it made us we had to be like I don't know, four eight or four seven or something to take the lead, maybe four nine. I mean, so it'd have been way harder had we had to go get six or something. You know what I mean? To let our brains kick in and think would have been the worst thing in the world. But when they made a good run in front of us, and I think somebody in front of them and made a pretty decent run too. So I mean, for us to to kind of try to win something, we were going to have to be aggressive. So it it let us just completely go off instinct, and then we drew a great steer, and you know everything worked out great. So it, it never was a thought of. I guess back before then, like I said, um, I wasn't really roping for a living. I was just trying to get by. And my fundamentals and, and everything that I understand about team roping now wasn't there then. So I, I didn't have the mental thought process that I have now or the, the way I talk myself through ropings now. I, I didn't do all that then. It was just more, I hope this works. <laughs> you know, so. so how have you tried to evolve your your mental thought process and how has that changed over the last seven eight years well the biggest thing for me anymore and I think through even through helping some people that's that's been big but to understand that in, in any sport whether you're gonna shoot free throws or try to make a putt on a golf course or a field goal kicker in football you have this pressure moment so for us it's every time you run a steer for for money or or just the fact that you're competitive and you don't want to mess up. So um, all of them have a pre-shot pre or a pre-game routine. And so, you know, I had read a few mental books about stuff like that, about, you know, th there's, there's basically two types of things going on in our body. There's a self one and a self two. So self one is your, your muscle memory from the hours and hours and everything that you've done to, to get to where you are in, in your trade. And then self two is your mental thought. Well, the biggest problem is when everybody talks about being in the zone as an athlete, the days that you're in the zone, it's because your self two is thinking about whatever it's thinking about and you're letting self one take over. You're letting your muscle memory and everything that you work on take over to where you can just go compete. Yeah. And so through reading all that stuff and then, like I said, getting into some of the situations that I have at the smaller opens and everything else, I, I talk to myself a lot more through the ropings. I, I try to, like in the practice pen, I try to really have 
an awareness of what am I thinking, what am I feeling, you know, from your breathing to your you, what you're thinking, riding in the box, even going down the arena. And then you kind of try to play with stuff with your mind, you know, phrases I tell myself throughout a rope. And then they've always been different. Like at the BFI, it was just something simple like focus and do your job. You know what I mean? And, and that's and then like right now, I'm on a deal where I just tell myself to ride a good corner and heal the steer when he's healable. And I just I tell myself that out loud when I turn around in the box. And it, um, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but uh, Kevin Costner had a movie. It was called For the Love of the Game. And he was an aging pitcher, per, pitching a perfect game. And every time he would start to hear the crowd noise, he'd say, clear the mechanism. You know, and in the movie, they, there's no crowd. It's just him and the catcher. Well, it, it's kind of the same thing for me. Like, by me telling myself something when I turn around in the box, it, that's me locking in to like, all right, here we go. And it, it gives my mind that, that ease and that something to think about. And then it just lets my body take over to go do my job. So. And that's something you do in the practice pen, competition, rodeos, ev everywhere, mm -hmm. VFI to... Yeah, every single steer. And, you know, not as much in the practice pen now that I've kind of worked on it enough, but like I said, it was through a lot of trial and error of, you know, what am I thinking, what am I, how am I seeing the run develop, how, you know, what is my mind frame in the practice pen? And anybody that I've tried helping is, and that's the biggest thing I tell them is, those days that you rope just lights out in the practice pen, and then we might show up the next day and we can't hit one and we can't figure out, man, what, what's the biggest deal? At, at any athletic event, you're going to have peaks and valleys. There's really no way around it. We're all human, so we're going to mess up. <clears throat> to me, the biggest thing is to try to make the valleys be as shallow as they can. I mean, when you start to dip, you got to know, you know, what can I, maybe two or three little checkpoints for yourself that, that helps you get out of them. And then mentally, if I can keep my mind fairly sharp, you know what I mean, to where I can tell my body to do these things better and then keep my mind sharp, then my peaks and valleys should be a little bit more steady to where you're not, you know, like I said, you're not going through a slump that lasts a month and a half and you can't figure out why and what's wrong. So it should help you get out of it sooner. Right. Well, <clears throat> I want to jump into one of the practice sessions. We, we went over there and you were roping dead fresh steers. I mean, it was the very first run. Mm-hmm. And you had a bad practice. I mean, mm -hmm. there was really no way around it. You you missed way way more steers than you wanted to. And I remember talking to you about it. And one of the things you said was, "Hey, you know what? I, I'm struggling. I tried to rub through it, and uh, I'm not going to get upset. I'm just going to call it what it is—a bad practice." Mm -hmm. And it was two days later that you place at Denver, and and then good at Fort Worth, or you know, you just had had mm -hmm. good luck after that. And you really, instead of having a bad practice session, can can you kind of take me through like how you would ha like how you handled that that practice where it wasn't going like you wanted it? Well, number one, for some reason, every time you show up, I can't catch. So I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe you just put too much pressure on me. But uh, you know, I, I used to really get bent out of shape over messing up in the practice pen, and and I used to. And I think we've all done this. You almost keep statistics on yourself in the practice pen, and you try to justify when you get done. That was a good session, man. I only missed two steers or or whatever. And nowadays, like I, I don't ever keep like I, we get done with a rope and, or a practice session, and I can't tell you how many I missed or caught or how many felt good or anything. It's because I'm working on, like I said, I'm working on my mentality on my horses. Like there's just so many more things that I'm worked on. I don't focus on the outcome of the run in the practice pen. Like a successful day isn't fully, you know, I caught every steer by two feet. 
obviously I'm trying to catch every time I turn in, but I'm working on so many other things that that's not fully what makes it a successful day. And on the particular day that you were talking about, I was trying to catch that day and just for whatever reason everything felt bad. I couldn't get myself, you know, right. And like I said, that's that's part of peaks and valleys. I mean, that, that was obviously a valley day. That was, you know, that was a day that could have started a slump. It could have got me fighting my head. My horses didn't feel good. And, and I know the steers were tough, but, you know, as open ropers, we're supposed to be able to handle any situation. And a younger me would have really let that affect my mentality going forward. But through the fact of, I don't know, just doing this long enough, I understand that every day is a new day, every steer is a new steer. And so that particular day, once I figured out, like, it's obviously not happening today, right. I ended up just grabbing a head rope and I just went into play mode. And I tried to just reset back to the kid in me that loves to rope and would give anything to rope every single day. And so when I put myself back in that mind frame, A, it kind of resets you into the fact of how lucky we are to get to do this for a living. So like any of the NFL or any NBA guys, like I grew up and this is all I've ever wanted to do. And so I don't want to become cynical towards the fact that this is what I get to do for a living. So I, I understand how lucky I am and how fortunate I am that I'm getting to live my childhood dream. <clears throat> so I don't ever want to let it get me down to that point, number one. And then number two, by me resetting, it kind of, I feel like it reset my internal clock a little bit. And instead of really fighting it and maybe dragging me down, it just reset me back to zero. And then I was able to not let it, I didn't look at the practices like, man, what am I going to do? My horses feel bad. I'm not seeing my corner. My swing feels funny. Like all these thoughts that go through your head, it was able to just throw them out and go, and that's a bad day, but man, I had fun there at the end. You know, and I had fun playing. I got to head a few, heal a few, right. and just, it just, it took away all the negative thoughts that day. So, and that allowed me to go right back into the next day of going to my pre-shot. What am I telling myself going down the arena? Where am I seeing my spot going down the arena? <clears throat> my position with my horse. What am I telling myself right before I go in the box to mentally get cleared in to, to do my job? And, and, and like you said, I was fortunate enough that, you know, we jumped right back into doing good. Yeah, absolutely. So was there a moment in your roping career where you essentially, everyone says, I think I got it figured out. Or like, like, like you talk about being able to, to understand that that was just a bad practice and how a younger self probably would have got, you know, got down about that practice and, and fought it more. Was there, there a certain moment or a, do you remember when that changed for you? You know, honestly, I, I, I don't have like a, uh, hoorah moment or whatever but um, just a couple years ago I've always been wired aggressive I mean that's I grew up like I said and, and where I came from that's how you roped I mean it was just I don't want to say we were all spot throwers or whatever but you turned and threw fast and if it was your day you were going to win and if it wasn't then you didn't and um, that that kind of carried me into my professional career that's how I attack things and then when I started doing better it was when I started working on my corner and, and I kind of healed slower there for a few years like the first year that I roped with Brady I, I healed quite a bit slower than I do now but I was really working on seeing things through the corner clearer and like I said I, I didn't have the I don't feel like I had the fundamentals down like I should have at that stage of my career but through hard work you know what I mean it's all come together now um, but a couple years ago that was the big I don't know, the big knock on me or whatever, I'd ask a few guys, man, what I need to do better to, to improve? Because I was making the finals, but 
I, I felt like I had greater potential than I was showing and I wasn't winning at the, the pace that I wanted to. So um, the biggest thing that, that I got told was, you know, man, you, a lot of people said, well, you need to quit throwing so fast. And so then I'm fighting my head on that of like, well, man, I don't want to throw slower. Like I like being aggressive that's and I, that's who I am. So um, me and Coleman got to hang out with Speed Williams a lot. And um, that was one thing that he told me was, it, it, it's not necessarily throwing fast that's your problem, it's that you take unnecessary risk. So, going back to the BFI or any of those ropings like that, if you have 15 seconds to win a roping, you don't have to use all 15 seconds. It's, there's not a set plan of, you know, you got to go out here and take four swings over him or you're being stupid. But what he told me was, if you set your corner up right, then you can throw as fast as you want to, and it doesn't look stupid. I mean, there's a lot of the top healers that throw fast, but you don't notice them because they ride a good corner. And when you set, just like that BFI shot, if I'd have run by the corner and threw in the exact same spot, I'm an idiot. Even if it works, I'm an idiot. But because I set the corner up, I can throw fairly fast, and everybody goes, man, that was, that was good sharp healing. You know what I mean? So that was the biggest thing that he conveyed to me was it, it's not how fast you're throwing, it's that you take unnecessary risk. You don't set the shot up properly. So this is going to sound kind of retarded maybe, but I, a couple of years ago I went to the practice pen literally with the mind frame of how I'm going to get, each year I try to sit down and figure out what do I need to improve to, to be better and kind of formulate a game plan. Well, to start that year a couple of years ago, it was literally go to the practice pen and don't miss. You know, be able to ride aggressive, be able to do everything aggressive, but you have to rope two feet. At this level, you have to rope every steer by two feet. Now, you're not going to because we're human and mistakes are going to happen, but your catch percentage has to be ex extremely high as a professional healer. So through that and working hard on that for the last few years, it's really taught me to be aggressive, but then to understand when the shot's not there and to take another swing or two and survive to see another steer and not beat yourself up because, you know, maybe you didn't did get him healed as fast as you wanted to. But to me, the biggest thing jackpotting is <clears throat> if you don't add time to the run, then you're doing good. As a healer, we all want to feel like we're shaving time off the run. Right. Well, I can only do as much as my header allows me to do. So if my header runs him to the nine hole, I can throw as fast as I want. We're not going to be six. You know what I mean? It's just impossible. So to me as a healer, the thing I want to do is I want to do my job so good that whatever that header turns that steer for, I'm never going to add time to the run. I'm going to ride a good corner, healing when he's healable, and that's me doing the peak of my job. So um, just, well, just yesterday I was at a rope and, and I'd fully intended on throwing fast on, it was at a 15 point and I was going to try to be a little more aggressive and help my header and I'm riding down the arena and I'm in kill mode like I'm going to throw as soon as he crossfires legal like I'm throwing fast. Right. Well, right when he goes to head it on him the steer steps away from me. So now I'm too far away to throw fast. Old me would have went ahead and threw and probably missed him. By me working on all this I recognize that my shot's not there. I took another swing, got close enough, healed him. We still end up being short six so you know what I mean? And that to me is the progression of you know kind of being a spot thrower being a guy that like like i said old me if i was throwing fast i was throwing fast i don't care if he's two coils away in the corner i'm throwing it at him to now the new me of i've worked hard enough on you got to catch your steer so that the catching's kind of 
ingrained into me enough now that I recognize the situation that that shot's not there at a high percentage. Maybe I pull it off, maybe I don't, but high percentage shot wasn't there and it's a jackpot. So you don't want to take yourself out in the first round. You need to get into the rope and see how it's going to progress. So take another swing, healing by two feet, live to fight another day. Yeah. And that's just learning how to win essentially is by not taking yourself out of the rope and, and not taking unnecessary risk because like, like I said, the further you get into the rope, then you can start calculating risks and, and, and your partner as well. Yeah. I think that's well, that was the biggest thing for me jackpotting is, you know, like I said, I was always a guy that if I showed up and was on, I was probably going to win because I was going to throw fast enough. But it was so inconsistent and there'd be, I mean, I might go five, six ropes in a row where I was out in the first or second round. And, you know, through this whole process of trying to get better, you know, that that's kind of the big thing now is I don't rope quite as aggressive in the first couple rounds of a rope and I try to really get deep into the rope and before you take those risks because you have no idea you have a pretty good idea at the open level that the ropings are going to be tough I mean it's just the, the competition's so high nowadays and everybody's wired so aggressive that somebody's going to be on somebody's going to draw good I mean it's just it's just part of it but it, it's weird if you look at a lot of the major ropings the, the team that ends up winning it isn't necessarily wire-to-wire -wire winning it. They don't win the first round and then just clean clock. It, it happens sometimes, but a lot of times it's that team that's just kind of hanging out in the crowd and then all of a sudden they draw a really good third or fourth round steer and they go ahead and make a good aggressive run on him and then all of a sudden they jump into the front of the rope and, and then there's only one or two steers left by that point and then they go ahead and finish it out. <clears throat> so I've tried to be better about not worrying about being a front runner so much at the jackpots. You don't have to win the first round or you don't have to be the fastest on two or three or even four. I mean, you can come back from fourth, fifth callback even. And, you know, my biggest thing is be aware of what's going on. Try to stay close enough to the rope and that you have a chance to win. But to for sure get deep enough into it that if you are going to take a risk that ends up taking you out, that it's a calculated risk and that you can justify going, it was a rope in that shape enough to be tough. I was a little bit long. I needed to try to win right there. And so then if you mess up, to me, you can leave going, that was just me trying to win. But if I miss in the first round, I have no idea if that rope was going to be tough or easy or maybe two barriers ended up winning something. But I've missed the first one, so I don't even give myself a chance. Right. That's a, that's a big thing to learn It's calculated risk. And I think that that goes back to the jackpot. It yep. takes a lot of competition to understand those shots and what's a high percentage shot and, and really learning your run and, and learning the trust in your run. Like, like you've said, it, I, I, I like to put a big emphasis on it because you, I mean, you've always been a guy in my mind that throws fast and uh, you trust it, you know, and that's who you are and, and that's how you built your roping around that. So that, that's really, really cool to, to hear you put it like that. I want to jump into kind of some failures and, and dealing with, you know, you talk about the peaks and the valleys and the slumps. Was there any big failures in your in your roping that really jumped out in your mind that has helped you get to the next level? Um, <clears throat> I don't know that I have a specific point as far as like younger. Um, I, I did miss, I remember to go to the college finals two years in a row, I missed in the short round of the last rodeo uh, or up to leg or whatever, cost myself from going. and. That was really, really hard for me to take at the time, and then, um, but through those failures, and then through the first few years of making the finals, that I was kind of in a dogfight to make the finals, and 
so through failing to make the college finals those few times it it, it I don't know it, it taught me to kind of become a little more numb to the pressure of, of the worst thing that can happen and so um, failing is almost a good thing because it, it teaches you that life's gonna go on you know what I mean the worst thing that's gonna happen is I don't get to go to the college finals or the NFR I mean it like the sun's still gonna come up life's still gonna go on it's not life-altering as far as like you know what I mean that goes um, you know recently probably the biggest the biggest failure in the arena that I've experienced would have been two years ago at the finals um, I had a pretty good track record at the finals of, of my roping and, and done well <laughs> and then it come down we were in the eighth round leading the world I think maybe second in the average or something maybe even win the average I mean we got a pretty good lock on doing everything and I end up missing the eighth one and then um, or no let's see I missed three I think I missed three of the last four steers and up to that point I'd run 50 steers in that arena and missed one so that's amazing leaving there right. it was very very hard on me mentally to understand that to this point, I had missed one steer, and then when the pressure was on to to drop the ball that big um, was something that it took me a little bit of time to process and understand. But through failing there, and once it all kind of wore down, like it wasn't that I went home and immediately looked at this, but once the the sting of what I had just done wore off a little bit, <clears throat> I was able to look back at those runs and really analyze what I did wrong where I could have been better and through that failure it's made me even like I feel like I was healing at a pretty high level then and I and it through messing up those steers it allowed me to step up to what I feel like is even a higher level now and you know then what's funny is I missed three of the last four there then went to the NFR this last year and missed the first one so then all those feelings come back of like you know, I didn't have them going there. You know, I really didn't. I didn't have, um, you know, a feeling of like I'm worried about messing up or anything like that. But then when I missed the first year, all those emotions flooded back to me of like, man, you know, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I catch? You know what I mean? All those emotions. And, and then just I'd worked all year to put myself back in a spot where I was going to have a chance to win a world title when I showed up there. And then to miss the very first year, you feel like my whole year's. I don't want to say wasted, but you know the ultimate goal feels like it's impossible to reach now because there's, um, you know, everybody ropes so great out there, obviously, and, and it's impossible to feel like those guys are going to mess up. So you kind of feel like you, when you get there, you have one mulligan, but you always feel like it, you're going to use it later in the week, whether it's a leg or a barrier or whatever. <clears throat> so to use our mulligan on the very first year, I mean, you're looking at a very steep hill to climb if you're going to have a chance to do anything in the bigger picture. So, um, you know, that mentally, that was a very hard thing to bounce back from. But, but through, you know, honestly, through praying about it, trusting God and, and saying that the, the big thing that, that I feel like I was learning at that moment in my life was that I'm going to trust God to, to bring me through the tough times. And so it's easy for me to go to that rodeo and, and pray about, I'm putting my trust in you, I'm going to do good. Well, if you do great. I mean, everybody has fun when they're winning. But for me to miss that first year and then to say, 
you know what, no, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to look to you, that you're my confidence, you're everything that has brought me to this point. And then we immediately got a win, and I think we won two of the next three rounds or something, and, and it turned out we had a great finals, you know what I mean? And so um, through learning all that stuff, that's that's more stuff that's allowed me to grow, and, and I think, you know, and also getting older and learning, you know, just like you said, through every situation that I've been through. No, that's... It's awesome because, I mean, obviously winning a world title would have been a great thing, and you're right there close. And even this year, I mean, if things would have went your way, I mean, it could have easily happened again. Mm -hmm. This year, it's just Eric and Corey roped a great finals. Yeah, and, and two, you know, and, and that's a big deal. Like, to me, they were really deserving because I've always been a big fan of the guys that, you know, to me, they, they were strong all year. You know what I mean? They came in. I don't know, $200 off first or whatever it was. They were really, really close and had a great finals. And, and so, you know, those guys, to me, they really earned it. And, and it was going to take, you know, if it would have been a, a team from way back, then I could have made those mistakes early and, and we'd have been able to be ahead of them still. But we were trying to catch up to them guys the whole time and they were roping so solid. And, and you know, I really put Luke in a tough position where he had to be, I mean, literally the perfect header, you know, and he was, you know, and he did a great job and put us in a great spot. And, and uh, you know, but it was just, I had him on the, it literally the edge of the cliff the whole week, you know what I mean? And, and to where he just wasn't allowed to make an ounce of a mistake because of what I'd done at the start of the week. And, and he gave us a great chance to win and, you know, it, it didn't pan out. But I, I think through us building through those and, and our, I feel like our, relationship as a team has gotten even closer and, and our goals have even gotten more united and what we want to do and how we want to approach everything and up to this point of this year you know I think it showed we've we've roped really well together and 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 one and we've done good at a lot of places that everybody hadn't seen like I said a lot of the little ropings and um, we've really done good at at all the little things so far this year and so if we we keep that mentality and then you know show up at the finals again, so. Well, going back to it, having a pivotal moment in, in your career and it not going your way, and still being able to take that and make it where you improve, your partner improves, and you guys become a better team and better winners. And, and I think that that's, that's really important to, to understand is that is your mentality. And, and the best guys in the world, it, you know, most of the time I think, oh, when you hear someone talk, Oh, I just want to make the finals. It'd be great. You very rarely do you see someone have a good finals like you guys have had the last couple of years because mm -hmm. they really have been good. Yeah, finals. they're financially they're outstanding. But being disappointed at the end of it. Yeah. And and essentially it's so it's kind of a, a catch twenty two for you because you could look at it either way. It's like oh man, it's a great finals or I, I you know I failed myself right there and and you just look at it for what it is and how can I improve and and try to to keep improving and I think that that is it's really neat to to hear you know because it that's a big big thing to do I mean it takes a really high high amount of character to, to do something like that I think you see a lot of guys get pretty upset and it's a hard one to recover yeah well and I think yeah uh, I, I think anything well in life or from our horses to anything is a lot of it's your your expectations that you have of yourself or whatever it is that you're doing so um, you know, it's something that, to relate it to riding horses and stuff, it, 
if I expect my practice horse to be my number one horse, well then my expectations of what I what I want from him change. From the way he scores, the way he runs, the way he rides the corner, the way he stops, the way he finishes the run, all that increases so much. Whereas if I'll just look at each horse to they are what they are, and this is his strengths and this is his weaknesses, <clears throat> it, it I think if we can keep emotion out of the the realm of our decision making and our process of how we get ready and do things then that's what allows you to grow so much more in your open and, and in life honestly but um, you know I've, I've got some horses that are that I feel are great and I've got some horses that that I know aren't so great so if I'll ride those horses that I know aren't so great for just they are what they are well then I can still have fun and I can still even compete on them I just understand that they're not so great at these certain situations maybe a steer peels off to the left I'm going to have a hard time getting there. Well, instead of me panicking and just, man, if I'd have been on, you know, Colonel or whatever, like he'd have got there and he'd have done this and he'd have done that, this horse ain't Colonel. So then I realized, man, when he gets over there, just relax, get over there when you can, heal him when you can, like, and, and going back to, like, the finals and, and transition it to that, I used to have that goal of, like, man, if I, if I could just make it one time, you know what I mean? Like, like a bunch of us, man, that would be that's enough for me. Well then that one time turns into, man, if I can make it twice and if I can make it three, well then you make it a few times and it's, man, I'd, I'd really like to be in the hunt for a gold buckle, you know? And so then it, your expectations start to grow, <clears throat> but you can't let the expectations overwhelm you emotionally to where my life's not gonna be defined by me winning or not winning a gold buckle. I wanna win one really really bad just like we all do but if it were to never happen I'm not gonna look back on my rodeo career and go man I was a failure never could win a gold buckle I've had a great career I got to go to the finals a bunch got to live my childhood dream got to do what I want to for a living and I've, I've gotten to to make a better living than I ever thought I'd be able to make growing up you know what I mean I, I never <clears throat> thought I'd be able to win the amount of money that I've won you know at the bigger opens and at the finals and stuff like that so to to wrap it all up into winning a gold buckle, I think can get you a little bit off center. And so that is my goal. That's what I want to do. But my it's not going to be a successful career just because I won one or two or three or however many world titles or if I never win one. You know, it, it's the fact that I've gotten to do what I want to do for a living, and I've been extremely blessed and and you know, honored to do it. And so that's what's been a success, not necessarily the outcome, <clears throat> you know what I mean, is going to define it. So The process of allowing yourself to keep being in these situations where you get a rope and, yeah. and do what you love. Uh, well, man, I just got a couple more things for you. I know this cooler is getting pretty hard. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you hear a lot of young guys that want to start roping for a living. Uh, can you kind of what advice would you give to a young person that's wanting to uh, to maybe start down that path as being a professional roper? Well, I mean, to me, there's, I guess there's several steps to that. Purely on the roping side of things is to make sure that, you know, you try to get into the best horses you can get into um, and to really be open-minded to keep looking for horses. And, and to me, that, especially at the open level, 
I mean, horsepower is so crucial. I mean, at every level it is roping, but, you know, especially when you get to roping against the best guys in the world, you got to have great horses. I mean, that's just, there's no way around it. It makes your job easier. And then number two is to really make sure that you have a good foundation in what you're wanting to do. You know, as a healer, I wish that I could have told a younger me to work on his corner and to be a more consistent healer. You know what I mean? All the things that I've learned throughout the years that I can tell myself to do that. And then as far as like a business side of things, if you're lucky enough to get around higher level ropers that are that are better than where you are, um, you know, whether it's guys that make in the finals or whatever, even from practicing to, to all the way to if there's any way you could enter around them or, or haul with them um, to learn the ins and outs and um, just to, to see how they handle every situation and, and to know that they, you know, the, one of the biggest things for me was getting a buddy with Travis Tryon that year that I wrote, the first year I wrote with Brady. Because um, like I said, to make the finals was kind of a pipe dream to me. Like, it, it was something I wanted to do, but like, for me to sit and say that I realistically thought it was going to happen, um, it, it was more just something I thought, man, that'd be really cool. But to get around guys that they start the year and that's what they're going to do. They're going to make the national finals rodeo and they're going to go there and they're going to rope for a lot of money. It, it wasn't a pipe dream. It wasn't a hopeful thing. And it was kind of funny, even through making the finals around those guys, like they're all happy for you and that, you know, that you get a lot of congratulations and, and all that, but you don't get the the hometown oh my gosh i can't believe you actually did it you don't get that from them guys because that's what you're supposed to do you know what i mean like that was your goal that's what you set out to do that's what you're supposed to do and so to see both ends of that spectrum um you know if you get around the guys and, and it, it's it's even as much as just you learn not by as much as what they say but just how they act and what their expectations and how they perceive winning and doing good so um you know, I, I think that's the best part if you could do that. And then financially to, to be really diligent with your money. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to have some big wins or, or to, to have some success at whatever stage it is, to, to never treat your money like it's never going to quit coming in. Um, you know, because as soon as we quit roping, like, the cash flow is done. You know what I mean? Unless you're going to ride horses or do schools or or whatever. I mean, the competing side of it, the money stops. There's no benefits. There's no 401k. There's none of this stuff. You know what I mean? So, um, to be diligent enough with your money to try to set yourself up for future things and to know that just because you have money in the bank now, you can blow through that money in a hurry, especially out here doing what we do because, you know, you're eating out a lot. You know, if you want to go play golf or bowl or hang out with your buddies, even going to movies all the time. I mean, just all that little stuff adds up if you're just spending money like it's never going to run out. If you hit a little bit of a dry spell winning and you haven't set yourself up with a little nest egg to, to withstand that, then you can get yourself in a bind in a hurry. So the trucks and trailers depreciate as you're using them. And yeah. There's big factors in there too. Okay, well, the last thing, you talk about horsepower. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you've obviously got a, a great heel horse and have had some really good heel horses. Can you kind of tell me what you think, you know, I'd love to talk about, you know, this horse that you're riding now mainly, but when you got him and kind of his story and, and what you feel like, what makes him such a, such a great horse? Well, um, well, first of all, to get him was, you know, probably just a godsend deal it was a, it was a it was a blessing um i had a horse deal fall through with a buddy of mine um back in it was the end of 
well actually it was 2010 um, and Dixon Flower Quarter Horses was fairly new to, to up there in Nowat, Oklahoma. Um, they'd been around a little bit. I hadn't met him or nothing, but I'd had a friend that had met Duke and kind of become buddies with him. And so when this horse deal fell through, I'd heard about him, heard they had some nice horses. So I call my friend and I'm like, hey, ask him if he's got any horses for sale. And uh, he goes, man, he's got one that, that he thinks will make it, you know, at the top level. And I'm like, okay. So, so I go over and I go to try him and and ride him and, and he was a little bit green to the rodeo way of roping he had been in the show horse ring and, and um, you know it had won some awards and gotten quite a few points in the AQHA and was a great horse but um, as far as how I was wanting to rope on him he was a little bit green too and um, you know Duke was awesome to me and, and, and we worked out a partnership for me to buy the horse and, and to take him and use him and um, you know, honestly, for the first maybe even couple years, it was getting him used to the different positions that I ride. And, and, and number one, my horsemanship wasn't where it is now. And so I made some mistakes by putting him in positions that he wasn't ready for too early. And so I, I probably stunted his growth as far as me being able to use him sooner. But maybe that's made him greater now. I don't know because I can pretty much put him anywhere and he knows how to react to it. So. Yeah. Um, you know, he has turned into, I mean, the best horse that I've ever rode and, and been lucky enough that he's won the horse of the year deal the last couple of years. But, um, you know, the, the biggest thing I look for is any more heel horse has to be able to run quite a bit. <clears throat> and you got headers that grew up watching Speed Williams rope their whole lives. So every header's hitting the line and throwing quite a bit of rope at them most of the time. And so as a healer, Nowadays, you have to be able to leave the steer straighter because them guys are looking to throw so fast. If you get out there and step them about the time they're throwing, they're going to hit you with their head rope. And to the common fan, they're going to go, man, I can't believe he threw that bit of a head loop. But to you that understands it, you understand I moved, that, I moved his target right before he threw. I mean, that's pretty impossible. So you have to be able to leave the steer alone enough that they know where he's going and they, he's on a set pattern. And if he can be straight, you can be faster anyway. So you have to have a horse that can can kind of make up that ground from that header reaching. And then, honestly, the biggest thing besides the run that I look for is the way that they make the corner, the way they carry themselves and hold themselves. And then I really want my horses to be stout at the horn, man. I mean, almost every rodeo jackpot you go to, it comes down to tenths of a second. You know what I mean? And, and well, I think it, even like at Denver and Fort Worth early this year, like being five flat might pay a thousand, being four nine might pay 2400 you know what I mean so we're talking quite a bit of money difference over a tenth of a second so you know I want my horses to really really be stout at the horn and when I you know when I set it down they're like I want the run to stop and so you know Colonel has really been perfect all the way all the way around because he's got enough run that I can score with my header and you know he doesn't necessarily run like a head horse but but close enough that I can catch up to the play and and then he's really forgiving, like I can throw fast a million times in a row. And then on that million and one steer, like if I need to take a couple more swings, like he's not going to just cut me out and make me have to throw there. So, um, you know, he's really just, I don't know, man, he's hes pretty cool. So, uh, The one thing about him that's, you know, you jump out is just all the talent he has. He has the ability to run, stop, be physical, and, uh, and kind of a, a mentality that, he will get you to the spot and, and kind of keep you there. So that's 
I think that's really neat to to see a horse like that because there's a there is a ton of rodeos, especially with your header. You know, he's got so much game mm -hmm. that you're leaving steers pretty straight, which is usually the fastest run. I mean, they're you know he's having to run and then make the corner on. I mean, some some stuff that happens really fast. So yeah, it's it's cool to see that. Yes, sir.